And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Friday, October 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will discuss the current state of the World Series. Not up at one game apiece, heading into Game 3 on Friday night. So many of you will get to listen to this podcast before that game happens. It's a chance for us to kind of stop and look and see how the rest of the series might play out. We're going to discuss Charlie Morton, the long road to his peak, and the unfortunate injury that will keep him out for the rest of this postseason. And we'll say a belated goodbye to the Boston Red Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers and take a look ahead to what they might be doing this offseason as they attempt to reload and make another run in 2022. Keith, how's it going for you today? Uh, Good. Good. Yeah. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Yeah, it's that time of year. Hanging in there. Let's start with Charlie Morton. It's really unfortunate that he got hurt with the comebacker, broken fibula, out for the rest of the postseason. Pitched through it for a little while, actually pitched to three more batters before finally leaving the game, which is pretty amazing. I've seen totally some weird normal. things. Yeah, I, mean, I saw Giovanni Gallardo tore his ACL several years ago at a play at first base, came back out, pitched another inning, and, and then left the game. I mean, I've seen some things, but that that's right up there in terms of just toughing it out in a really unusual set of circumstances. Morton is interesting for a lot of reasons, though. I mean, this is a guy that he had lofty expectations at the beginning of his career, didn't meet them, and then in his 30s in Houston became really a different sort of guy because even when Morton was finding some early career success, it was a ground ball heavy approach. It wasn't a lot of strikeouts. Injuries are a big part of the early part of his career as well, but he's one of the more unusual development stories in the game in the 20 or so years that I've been following this as a teenager and adult. When he left Pittsburgh, I had to look and make sure I had the right year. So it's 2016. He goes to the Phillies, makes four starts for them and looks like a completely different guy and, and blows out his ACL. Right. I think that's what it was. It was something on a play. He was trying to field, make a play at first and suffered a season ending injury. But what he showed in those four starts was, hey, this is this is not the old Charlie Morton. I mean, it's the latest example of a guy leave Pittsburgh and get better. We've seen quite a few of those in the last few years, certainly. And I remember making him a breakout candidate for the next year, despite his age, right? He would have been well into his 30s already at that point. And then he goes to Houston. Really, ever since then, he has been a completely different guy. He was a little bit had a little bit of a bad luck year in 2020, but I think we can throw that out. But since then, uh, he has been, yeah, he's been a, a way more effective pitcher kind of across the board, but especially just striking guys out a lot more. I remember when he popped up in fall league, it's got to be 10 plus years ago now. It was, well, yeah, he throws really hard, but what, 
you know, okay, so what else you got? Um, and it was only with the move to Philly and I think really some changes that he kind of made himself because obviously he wasn't even in Philly that long that he became the Charlie Morton that we know now. And it makes me think a little bit like I don't think there are going to be a lot of instances like Charlie Morton, but, um, you know, in his case, I think it was primarily just sort of adding a cutter was probably the biggest difference. So that he was not relying just so much on the four-seamer with big velocity, but not a lot of life or other movement. So maybe the we should think differently about pitchers, even as they get into their 30s. Like, hey, if they throw hard and they're still capable of handling a starter's workload, this isn't determinative, right? They aren't, this isn't just what they'll be forever. That's probably more true of hitters because obviously things start to, you know, if your bat speed starts to decline a little bit. Whereas pitchers who show they can throw hard, maybe do one or two other things, there's still stuff to work with. And teams obviously are very willing to work with that. Find pitching any way they possibly can. And so if you get a Charlie Morton, you you see some thing, you know, he does a few things right, but we we can tweak it. We can change a grip at a pitch and maybe get a whole, you get a Charlie Morton late stage resurgence. Rich Hill, another one. Late stage, late career surge where both guys, the have done their best work in their 30s. Yeah, I almost wonder if the, the basic rubric is command and good velo, and then maybe one passable secondary pitch. If you have that to begin with, you can add on top of that and, and take a bigger leap forward. And I think it leads to a natural question. Well, maybe you know, could, could we find one? Could we find one in this free agent class? Could we dig around and, and have a an argument for someone that could be a similar pitcher? And maybe one of the more intriguing names to me is Danny Duffy because he has spent so much time in the same organization, even with turnover, even with different philosophies coming through. I think we've got enough questions about how the Royals have struggled to develop pitching over the years Mm -hmm. where you can look at Duffy, look at the things he does well and say, maybe with just a new start, with a group of new coaches and a new park, a new organization, maybe he could actually be this kind of guy that turns himself around and, and becomes more of the pitcher people expected him to be as a prospect than the guy that he's been for the better part of his career. Yeah, and I would one guy I thought was interesting for a slightly different reason, Tyler Anderson has the command uh, or at least the control and gets a lot of movement on his fastball and really maxes out what the uh, what they call the active spin, so how much of the spin on his four-seamer results in movement on the pitch. Well, it's not a super easy thing to teach. We've already got that. We can increase guys' velocity. Or maybe a team looks at that and says, well, if we can do that on your four-seamer, can we uh, transfer that ability maybe over to some other pitches? Maybe something he already has, or maybe it's tweaking his repertoire to add another pitch. These are older guys who probably sign a one-year deal for not a lot of money. They're sort of make good contracts for them to try to have a better platform you're going out into free agency or demonstrate health going back out into free agency or just going out next winter where this winter's free agent class is really really good i haven't looked that deeply at the next winter's class it's probably not going to be as good so it's you know i can see several reasons why a pitcher might choose to do that to take that one year deal especially to go maybe go to a club that's had some success in improving guys i would say you know does danny duffy end up with the giants for example because they've done that kind of thing before. In fact, Tyler Anderson was there briefly a year ago. So yeah, I could see 
several candidates like that, and I could see them choosing specific destinations. Not that they're going to take no money to do so, but maybe that becomes a deciding factor. The money's close between a couple of clubs, but this one coaching staff, they've made pitchers better. Maybe I go there. Yeah, I would imagine if you're in a position similar to what Duffy and, and Tyler Anderson are in, that's exactly what you're looking for in terms of an ideal fit. Uh, back to Morton just for a moment, thinking about the Atlanta rotation without him. To me, it just puts a ton of pressure on Ian Anderson to pitch well, or at least pitch deep into Game 3, because where I think this team gets into some trouble, especially against an offense as good as Houston's, is when you start getting down to the bottom of the barrel relievers, right? If, if you have mm-hmm. to try and chew up two or three innings with Drew Smiley against the Astros, bad stuff's probably going to happen in right. that scenario. That is not what you want. So there's so much riding on on Anderson in particular in Game 3 as a result of Morton's injury. They did replace Morton on the roster with Tucker Davidson, which I thought was a little weird because they're a little lefty-heavy with some mm-hmm. of their bulk guys anyway, and Tuki Toussaint was an option. They could have went younger with Spencer Strider. Is there anything with Davidson that you think makes that choice make sense, or do you no. think they kind of whiffed on an opportunity to give themselves a slightly better look against that Houston lineup? I'm not going to say a whiff. I'm going to say they may know something about health availability that we don't. I was a little surprised. Also, it's the last man on a pitching staff. I'm not terribly inclined to think much either way on something like it. Okay. You know, my reaction is okay. Sure. That's a choice. I guess I don't really know. There's, there's probably information here that I don't know that might explain that particular choice. I doubt they're expecting Davidson to come in and you know, it's not going to make a spot start, right? It would be the one thing if they said, if said, Hey, we left this guy off cause he can't pitch in relief, but he could make a spot start. They brought someone in for that. It's okay. I understand that Davidson is, has been a starter, they're not asking him to make a spot start in the World Series. No, they probably like something about maybe they like a slider, and they, they see some matchups where they may need a lefty that throws a slider really well for a couple of plate appearances in the middle of the series. That may have been the reason for mm-hmm. him versus anyone else. Uh, as far as the remaining matchups go, the only pitching matchup we actually know is Game 3. It's Anderson versus Luis Garcia. Garcia looked so much better the yeah. last time he was on the mound in Boston, Vila was way up. Uh, and I know he's someone that you've liked for a while. How do these two guys kind of stack up? Well, Garcia, it was a leg issue, right? He said, I think he said after that last game too, he felt he was able to push off better. I- I'm going off memory here, but I believe that was the issue. It was just he wasn't 100% in the previous outing. He was 100% the last outing. We saw the Luis Garcia that we'd seen for most of the year. He was the best rookie pitcher in the American League. Uh, so... Whereas Anderson was not quite the same at the end of the season, and I don't know what the explanation for that was. Now, maybe that's something physical and he's past it. I haven't seen an explanation like that, at least in Garcia's case. Oh, he was really bad. Oh, we know why. It's because he was dealing with a leg issue. Oh, okay, now he's come back, the leg is better, and he looked like his old self again. We don't have that information on Anderson, so it makes me more uh, nervous about what his performance might be, seeing more volatility and possible outcomes. Because I think his stuff was down towards the end of the year. And obviously he was just wasn't as effective as he had been in his rookie season. So um, I'm not loving that matchup for Atlanta. Whereas with Garcia, I mean, he's also facing a very tough Atlanta lineup, but more confident. I am more confident in what he might be able to deliver. I mean, that Astros lineup, if you are not, 
pristine, either with location or just with overpowering stuff, they can eat you up pretty quickly. And I could see a scenario here where Anderson goes two and two thirds. And even if the game isn't out of hand, now Atlanta is back into its bullpen again, which is obviously not what they're looking for. Yeah, I think the thing about Houston that's been so impressive throughout this era is their continued ability to avoid strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Like they they also do damage though. They're not some team right, built like a, a team the in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 not the, some powerless Tommy team. Tommy Her and and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. Well, right. Those guys were fun. Yeah, I mean, if you look at teams that were low in strikeout rate, the Astros, the Jays, they're cut from the same cloth in terms of how those lineups are built right now. The Royals are kind of more like one of those old school teams with some of their hitters, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the build they have right now, but power is coming with the young players they've got coming up. But that's what makes Houston so difficult for every single pitching staff is that there's just there are so few easy plate appearances. Like Martin Maldonado, mm-hmm. he's a catcher that can run into one. That's about it. But that's one guy. I mean, that's it. The last hitter in the lineup might be the only easy plate appearance. Like a guy like Jose Siri, maybe. You haven't really seen a lot of him, but that's it. They, they run at least seven deep every single day with every combination they throw out there. And throughout the regular season, some of the guys like Siri, like Jake Myers, like Chaz McCormick exceeded expectations and, and played really well, too. So There was some – one of the broadcasters said – that was probably Smoltz, right? Said something last night about how so-and-so told me Jose Siri is the most talented player on the team. I'm like – do you know who else is on the team? Who said that? Like, I, in this case, who are you talking to, John? Yeah, I'm wondering if somebody said Jose Siri might have the best tools on the team. Okay, I might be able to make that argument. Siri is is very tooled up. He always has been. He's just never really been able to hit. That's who he's been forever. Um, and the you know he was the latest in a parade of Reds prospects who were like that the reds were great at finding these extremely toolsy prospects and not great at teaching them how to hit because it turns out that's hard and so i mean, fine if you want to talk about that how incredibly toolsy jose siri still is fine there are some reasonably talented players on that team who happen to be able to hit and i feel like that's fairly important if you are a hitter yeah, uh, hitting is a key tool in baseball. This is the analysis people come to this podcast for, I think. Yeah. I, I think I do remember that statement. I think he was saying Siri had the best tools, but even that is still just kind of like, well, you're dismissing one thing that he's clearly not shown. He's not 20. Yeah. Right? We're not talking about this is not a prospect conversation. If we're having a prospect conversation, obviously I have a lot of those. Totally different. You're willing to say, Yes, but he is deficient in this one particular area, and that's going to be a risk. Right, we can have that conversation. Jose Siri is not a prospect. He is not the age of a prospect, and he is currently playing for a team in the World Series. I don't care how tooled up he is. He's not going to tool his way to first base. <laughs> no, no, he, he will not. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to the couple teams that were recently eliminated from the postseason. We've been dissecting rosters, getting a feel for where the future direction might be headed. Both the Red Sox and the Dodgers are teams that have plenty of resources. It's really just a matter of which top-end guys are they going to get? Maybe are they going to go out and make trades? This is part of the conversation with both of these teams as well. But... I look at this Boston team. They were probably a year earlier than most people expected being a playoff team. AL East is still going to be tough next year, Keith. It's not changing anytime soon. The Jays are here to stay. The Rays are still legitimately good. The Yankees clearly frustrated by their own lack of postseason success in recent years. They're pushing chips in again, so they're at least trying hard to win. So you've got four legitimate teams with playoff aspirations again next year. Not a big surprise there. I think for me, part of the conversation about the 2022 Red Sox begins just with Chris Sale and expectations for him because post Tommy John, the 50 or so innings we saw from him after he came back this year, that was not vintage Chris Sale. There were a few flashes of it, but it was really pretty typical, I think, of what you get from a lot of guys coming off of of TJ. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, I completely agree. I mean, I was just writing something about from my free agent capsule about Noah Syndergaard, who made two appearances in the big leagues at the end of the year. Guess what? His velocity wasn't all the way back. It either comes all the way back or for maybe 10% of guys or so. Uh, I don't know what the latest number is. It used to be between like 10 and 15%. It just doesn't come back. Some guys, it just wouldn't come. We had a guy when I was with the Blue Jays 20 years ago now where he had Tommy John surgery and he went from 89.90 to 82.83. And that was just it. That was... You know, sorry, you are the one in 10, maybe less, where it doesn't work out. But for both of these guys, where we've seen them pretty close to what they were before, but not 100% of what they were before in terms of pure stuff, in terms of uh, command and control, they feel confident that it'll come back. They'll get there next year. Maybe it's next year for sale. Maybe in Syndergaard's case, maybe it's the second half of next year or something, just because he is not as far along in the rehab process. But I'm not, it's not like they came back and you think, oh no, this is never, you know, Chris Sale is suddenly sitting 87 and you think it's never coming back. But the thing is, the interesting thing is that the Red Sox kind of need him, right? I mean, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is a free agent. Um, maybe they sign him, maybe they don't. But if they aren't going to sign one of the many very good free agent starters on the market, which we keep getting these weird signals from uh, Heim Bloom and from Red Sox ownership that they're not going to be big spenders in free agency, which, okay, sure. <laughs> but, you know, the rotation was a weakness to begin with. They were below the American League median in run prevention, and now you're deleting a, a solid starter in Rodriguez, and, yeah, you get some you get some sale innings back to fill in, but what okay, so what else do you have, you know, I still still have concerns about Tanner Houck's ability to get left-handers out. And I think the more that he pitches, the more that that's going to get exposed. And they don't, as far as I know, have another guy who's ready to step in now and be another starter for them. They have a couple guys coming, I think, in the system. But I could see the rotation being a weak spot again, if not short up externally. Yeah, I mean, I think they have to find a way to replace Erod with at least 
the type of one-year catch lightning in a bottle type free agent we were just discussing a few minutes ago. They need someone like that to take the Erod role, and they probably need one more on top of that. <laughs> because if you went Sale, Evaldi, your Erod replacement, Hauk, Nick Pavetta still there, you know, fine, he's okay as a five. You probably want one more guy because of Sale's injury history, Evaldi's injury history. You need that insurance because you don't have those those reinforcements waiting at double A AA and triple A, guys that are going to give you a lot of high quality innings as starters on the horizon. You kind of have to go that route. So maybe maybe they're going to do the bargain bin thing. I mean, that's got to be part of the appeal of of getting people to run your front office from Tampa Bay as they've had <laughs> to do it on a budget before. So if, if ownership says, yeah, you're still doing this on a budget, they can do that. You get the bigger payroll, great. They can spend that effectively too. But it's just weird to see Boston not going back up into that range of being a, a top five payroll team. Right? I think they were eighth in opening day payroll in 2021. It's like, yep. what are you guys holding back right now? There's right. there's no reason to. You got everything else you need. You still have Bogart. You still have Devers. You still have Verdugo. Like the, the young core that you've built here is going to be here for a while. JD Martinez has one more year. Like this is basically an opportunity to just run it back and then add to it very easily without going well above your previous levels of spending. Right. It is, you have a championship caliber lineup. Lineup and, you know, I would include the defensive alignment with that. They could move some guys around potentially. I think somebody in my last chat suggested the Red Sox going for one of the big shortstops. And then you can move, you know, Bogarts. Do you move Bogarts to second and, uh, or do you move Bogarts to third and Devers to first? Mm. Or do you move Bogarts to second, leave Devers at third? The Red Sox have Nick York, their first round pick from 2020, who's finished this year in high A at age 19. If nothing else, it looks like he can really hit. Um, he's not a great defensive second baseman, but you also, you're not moving him anywhere else. So I could see them saying, no, 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 we're not moving Bogarts to second, only to run into that problem at some point. So that's the one thing I could see them doing. Otherwise, the lineup is kind of good to go. So you have this championship caliber lineup. You should put a pitching staff to go with it, right? You should bolster the pitching staff to make sure that it's good enough to get you into the postseason again. Because that's kind of what happened this year, right? The, the pitching staff was not great. It was still, like I said, below the league median in run prevention. But that was good enough because the offense was so good. I could just imagine Red Sox fans yelling Max Scherzer with the Boston accent. And it, it kind of works, unfortunately, for, for the rest of us. So if you're th- thinking about a guy that isn't going to it's not going to take a six or seven year deal to get him, but you're getting frontline stuff. I mean, Max Scherzer is that guy. It's just a commitment to spend 30 plus million per year over the life of the deal. It should be fewer years, right? Scherzer is not what he was two, three years ago. He's still really good, obviously, but he's 37. This will be his 37 or 38 year old season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are not, maybe somebody gives him four or five years. Go with God, I guess. I don't know what to tell you. Like, that is... I mean, I like Max Scherzer a ton. He is not... If you're just talking about total dollar commitment to free agent starters this winter, he's not in the top three, for sure. Because there are guys who are younger, who are as good. They don't have his track record. You know, Scherzer's going to the Hall of Fame. So is Clayton Kershaw. You're not giving those guys long-term deals. Scherzer's case, mostly just because of age. He tapered off a little bit this year in Kershaw's case because he was hurt again in this year. I, you know, maybe Kershaw's just a 20 start a year guy going forward. You got to pay them for what they're going to be, not for what they were. 
Yeah, and I think maybe Justin Verlander's two-year deal with Houston a couple years ago, two for yeah. 66 is probably a, a good starting point. Maybe it's two for 70 for Scherzer, yeah. and that's well, what it takes. You know, a you know, pitcher who should not be named, but who signed a bunch of those, like he'd show up in May and sign a contract with the Yankees for the rest of the season. But that's not really Scherzer necessarily, but could Kershaw do something like that? Hey, I think it's pretty interesting. Maybe he can do better. Maybe he chooses not to do that. But if Kershaw is probably only good for 20 to 22 starts per year, maybe he just starts late and you ride him right into October. Maybe he's not at that point in his career yet. It just made me think of it when looking at his last couple of years. This guy's still pretty, really pretty good. He's just not durable enough. But he's been very effective when able to take the mound. So it's not like he's useless and it's not like he's zeroed out a bunch of seasons. He's just been completely unavailable. He's just good when he's healthy. There's a lot of guys like that on the market this winter. Dear Red Sox fans, if you guys are not seriously in on Max Scherzer, be angry about it because yeah. you should be. You, you're, you're the Red Sox. You can afford to be players in yeah. that market. Uh, on the position player side, I got a prospect question for you. Jeter Downs had a, a disappointing year at AAA, and that might be putting it really nicely. The K rate went through the roof. He struck mm-hmm. out 32.3% of the time. It had power, had speed. It was also hurt, too. Played 99 games this year. What do you think the future holds for him? Do you see him contributing on the big league roster in a in a meaningful way early 2022, late 2022? Like, What do you make of this season from him? First of all, he's playing great in the fall league. And I think, and I talked to a couple of scouts, including one who saw him quite a bit this year during the regular season. The belief is just the two-level jump was too much. He finished 2019 in high A. Nothing happens last year. Doesn't play any games anywhere. They jump him from high A to triple A this year, and it's too much. You know, triple A, for as much as you know, folks like me, we talk it down quite a bit. There are a lot of guys pitching there, playing there, pitching there, who've appeared in the big leagues. So you're facing some sort of, you know, up and down former big league pitching. And obviously, you got to be able to hit those guys if you're going to hit in the majors. But also, if the last pitching you saw in actual games was high A pitching, that's a pretty big jump. So maybe that was just the main reason for Downs' bad year. I'm inclined to believe it is because he's another guy who, well, if nothing else, he's going to hit, right? The one thing we all pretty much agree on is he's going to hit. He might be, there's two ways the Red Sox could go with him. Obviously, he's probably not starting next year in the majors. I guess he could if they really believe what they saw in fall. He can just want to throw out what they saw in AAA. That seems aggressive. But he's in between, right? I just that timetable I was just talking about, right? If they believe Nick York is the future at second base, where does Jeter Downs go? Not a shortstop. He's probably also a second baseman. Could try him at third. I haven't seen that personally. He's he's more than adequate at second. But does he end up a stopgap? Do they bring him up and just see what happens because he's the option that they already have on hand? Or is he somebody that they use in a trade to acquire something else they need? Like a starter, if they decide they don't want to spend on free on a free agent starter, could they use him in a deal? I'd feel bad for him. It'd be like his fourth trade, right? Third trade. Draft it Reds to the Dodgers to the Red Sox. He's been traded twice already, um, which sometimes some people think is a bad sign for a prospect. I think in this case, no, it's because everybody values him. But the poor guy just keeps ending up in situations where there's somebody else ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, it's, that seems to be the the pattern to this point. But yeah, interesting that he is having a good fall league because I mean the tools still seem to be there. You can see it with the the power and speed numbers at least, and it is a big jump, of course, from high to triple A. Because I, I think the thing that people might overlook the triple A pitchers might not have the stuff of big leaguers, which is why they're in the triple A level in the big in the first place. 
but they sequence like big leaguers or can sequence like big leaguers if they have that experience. They problem solve more like big leaguers. That's, I think, to me, a big part of the difference, too, aside from command being a lot better and, and stuff being better. Like that's, That is definitely true, but I think that that sort of teams can adjust to you, pitchers can adjust to you a lot more. That's also part of what happens in those upper levels of the minor leagues. Uh, the Red Sox, one other thing that I think is a bit of a, a long-term question is what are they going to do at, at first base? Bobby Dahlbeck did show some signs of whittling down the K rate in the second half of the season, but I'm out. I'm you're out. out. No, nope. it's it's Tristan Cassis in the future. It's yes. His, it's his spot. Yeah. Dahlbeck's, I mean, there'd have to be some massive change. He can't, he can't hit. He's just not going to hit enough. Um, he's never, he never has. He's been an extremely high strikeout rate guy going all the way back to college. That's just who he is. So, yeah, I, it's Cassis's eventually. Cassis is good. He's going to be very good. He's not ready yet. So, again, do you sign the one-year stopgap type guy? Do you move Devers over to first base? And then you end up with a situation where you're basically deciding one of those two guys ends up your DH. Right? J.D. Martinez is a free agent, so there is an opening there. But it's not Dahlbeck. Yeah, Cassis in the future, maybe a, a Brendan Belt short-term deal or something along those lines in free agency to sort of bridge the gap and, until he is ready. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Do you ever wish you could have something both ways? A zero-calorie cheeseburger, red wine with no headache, new baseball uniforms that aren't see-through? Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but you can have both with Mack Weldon's timeless apparel with performance fabrics. I just got Mack Weldon's silver crew neck tee and a couple of different colors in the silver peak polo. They're awesome. They look fantastic, but more importantly, they're the most comfortable shirts I've ever worn, and that's important. They're nice enough that I wear them to work, but so comfortable that they're a go-to on the weekends too. It's not flashy, just classic, always in style clothing made with performance materials, but those materials don't give their clothing that techy, shiny look that you see a lot of the time. They also have shorts, sweats, and warmer weather fleeces and button-up shirts, all the things you need any season of the year. Don't take my word for it, though. Try it yourself. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and the promo code MLBSHOW. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about the Dodgers for a bit. A lot of the, the writing I saw coming out of their loss to Atlanta was, this is the, the end of this group, which to an extent is true. I mean, some of these guys are going to leave as free agents, but... It's not the end of the Dodgers being a playoff contender, is it? Am I missing something here? Like They're going to be a thorn in the side of the rest of the NL, even if they lose a key player or two in free agency. Yeah, they're fine. I, I, I don't have a violin tiny enough for the Dodgers. <laughs> also, is it the end of the group? Or does the group just keep changing? You know, it's one or two out, one or two in, right? When they're, yeah, okay, so Corey Seager might walk. Okay, Gavin Lux is going to play every day now. Great. Yeah. Oh, and that, and Trey Turner wasn't a rental. So Trey Turner's there next Trey year. Trey Turner's that shortstop. Part yes. of it. Yeah. Yep. Trey Turner gets to return to shortstop, his natural position. Although I think Lux could certainly play shortstop as well. But they'll play Turner at shortstop and let Lux play second base every day. And great, we're off to the races. We're fine. Uh, the, I think the question for the Dodgers, quite, well, it's one question in two. Like they have two pretty significant free agents who are older pitchers who you would certainly associate with that group, right? Kershaw is one. Kenley Jansen is the other. And Kenley Jansen is another guy who I find super interesting because despite his age and how much he's pitched, he was very different this year, right? He used to be, you know, the Mariano Rivera Jr., right? It was just all cutters and it was hard and it was, and it moved a lot and nobody could touch it. And when that stopped working, he had a couple of struggle years. Then this year, he's working, suddenly the cutter is harder and moves more than ever. He's also working in some additional pitches, so there's more. You're not just sitting on the cutter. So suddenly he's kind of more effective again, but it comes with he's just wild. He's just way more erratic with control and command. I mean, I don't even know if you could talk about command given where he was, but stuff's still extremely hard to hit. But now he's walking a lot of guys. So on the one hand, not great if you're talking about somebody who you want to handle maybe your highest leverage work. On the other hand, hey, for 34, this guy's pretty interesting. It's a new basket of stuff maybe we can work with him maybe you're catching him at the beginning of a little you know mid-30s renaissance but that'll require some additional debate you're basically redeveloping him we don't generally think about players that age in the development context but maybe you should with jansen and who might be better suited to do that than the dodgers who obviously know him well and who have worked with him forever and he may have existing relationships with coaches there it's an interesting one. Do they want to spend probably what it would cost 
to keep Jansen, who I think is probably the best or second best relief candidate on the markets, him or Rysel Iglesias. Those are the two best, um, I should say, capital C closer free agent candidates on the market. <laughs> um, do you want to do that? Maybe that means letting Kershaw walk. Is it the other way around? You keep Kershaw, you let Jansen walk, or do you just say, screw it, we're the Dodgers, we pay everybody, and you just bring the whole band back? I mean, if you're letting me decide, and uh, it's not my money, I'm just going to bring them both back, because yeah. Kenley Jansen still brings plenty to the table. Kershaw is more complicated because of his health right now. You just right. don't know what you're going to get from him. But they may know. Once they again, may they may know yeah. better than anybody else. I mean, it's right. almost if the Dodgers are like, hey, we're going to let that one go. Everyone else should be like, ew. ew hmm, weird. Maybe, yeah. Let's, let's, let's wait on that one. You know, Jansen versus Iglesias, I would imagine because of their difference in ages and uh, the control issues you mentioned with Jansen especially, Iglesias might get four years. Like four for 60? Is that within range for Iglesias? Folks who followed my work for a while know I think four-year deals for relievers are the dumbest thing in baseball. The track record of guys on those relievers on those four-year deals is pretty terrible. Not universally, but it's pretty close. Um, and Iglesias is kind of homer-prone. You know, he's got his own issues. There's mm-hmm. no perfect closer on the market. I mean, you might argue the best reliever. I don't actually have him ranked tops among relievers, but Colin McHugh's like he doesn't, he's not a capital C closer and he wasn't used as a regular reliever this year. But what he's doing, when you look at what he did this year in terms of performance and how he gets there, I mean, that could go, he could keep doing this for five more years. That's probably and... aggressive. But the way he was handled, right? It's, he's really good. Everyone says he's really sharp. The formula works and the Rays used him extremely intelligently to the point where, yeah, I don't see any reason McHugh can't. Just keep doing this, okay, not quite indefinitely, but for the foreseeable future. And he's just got fewer questions than he's not homer prone like Iglesias. He's not wild like Jansen. You kind of know what you're getting. Would you pay a little bit more for that certainty out of the bullpen and the flexibility that he gives you? No, probably not because people still love the saves. But I could make that argument at least. Right. And I think McHugh might be more of two for 18 or two for 20. It's funny. I said, you know, he's a two-year guy. Didn't he, he only made like $2 million this year, right? I wonder if he even gets close to that. Yeah, maybe it's two for 15 or something along those lines and yeah. ends up being a huge bargain. I mean, it just comes down to health. But if you're saying you do have a budget and it is your money, do you want McHugh or do you want three plus years on Iglesias or a possible three year deal on Jansen? I'm shopping in the bargain bin. Like, I am. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. That's how I'm always building a bullpen. I'm, I'm a Costco guy and I'm a TJ Maxx guy, Keith. I don't care what it looks like. I'm just trying to save money. I'm just, I'm just trying to just to not overspend. So I, I can I can look past the the shiny toys in free agency and feel pretty good about what I come away with. And I think that's what you'd be doing by going the McHugh route if you're looking at all three of those guys. Yeah, it's uh, why don't you buy local, Derek? Huh? I, I buy my local TJ Maxx and my local Costco and that I try to support count. the that's local That's not how vendors. that works. No? No, it is not. Well, at least I don't thing. drive past three Costcos to go to the fourth one because they've got, you know, gas or whatever I need over three there. Three cents cheaper a gallon, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I drove 15 extra miles to get gas three cents cheaper a gallon. Yep. Good work. Good job. Good effort. Uh, so the Dodgers, I'm, there's there's a few other things to, to dig into here. I mean, Cody Bellinger, I saw this take put out there. I forget where it came from, so I can't give the appropriate credit. It was suggested that in a, in a more frugal situation a team would actually consider 
non-tendering Cody Bellinger this offseason. The Dodgers wouldn't or shouldn't because of who they are. Do you think there's anything to that at all? I mean, do you believe that? Do you think that's the type of, of year Bellinger really had? Do you think there's enough of a actual skills loss there where you would nah. be considering that in a penny-pinching scenario even? I guess if you were, I don't know, Cleveland. Pittsburgh. Right? No, no. You can't. Just, you know, I think you spend, well, I mean, look, first of all, you're the Dodgers. You don't have to. They sneeze and enough money falls out of their noses to pay Cody Bellinger. So that's not the issue. It's it's not money. It's what is he? Well, I actually just kind of like to see if a, an offseason of rest and any further rehabilitation on the shoulder, does he kind of get back to what he was? He just didn't quite look right all season right into the play. I know he had a couple of big hits in the playoffs, but that's not the whole picture, right? Yeah, Bellinger is always going to have that swing and miss, but he looked a lot worse. I would say towards the end of the season and the postseason. So maybe it's just, hey, this was an injury where if they'd stunk on August 15th, he would have said, I'm shutting it down. I'm going to just try to get this healthy again. So I'll be in better shape for spring training. But they were trying to win the World Series. So he just kept playing. I would really like to see what that looks like once he's, to see if that's what it was, right? I'm assuming he was not fully healthy. That is a bit of an assumption. But in that case, if, you know, what does he look like next year after a full off season of rest and, maybe further rehab. I don't think it's totally unlike what we saw with Corey Seager coming off of the hip injury a few years ago. His 2019, it wasn't the pre-injury Seager. It wasn't six-win Corey Seager that year. Yep. And it was easy to say, well, if his offseason was mostly rehabbing from surgery and it wasn't building up strength and just going through the normal sort of progression that players can go through, it mm -hmm. makes sense that he just wasn't quite himself all year. And I think what we've seen in 2020 and 2021 combined is really more of that five and a half, six win sort of player, right? Like Seager right. is going to cash in in free agency and for good reason. So I, I would, I'd be willing to extend that, that same sort of benefit of the doubt to Bellinger that a, an off season, a normal off season can really help get him back on track. Uh, as Seager goes, I, I don't think he's back. I think he's, he's going somewhere else, Keith. I, yeah, I, I think so. It's not impossible, but I, I just don't expect the Dodgers to, allocate resources that way even though they so, can spend whatever they want they don't necessarily need to spend on Corey Seager because of what else they have already I assumed that the trade for Trey Turner was a tacit admission that they were probably going to let Seager walk that they had some idea of what it was going to cost and they looked at other options and they said we can get Turner for a year we have Lux we are the Dodgers we can always find another solution and Seager is good. He's very good. He has not been the consistent play. He's not consistently been the player we saw from him in his first two seasons. Um, obviously, some of that was due to injury. But they may have just decided. I'm sure this wasn't a decision that we don't think he's good. It was just what he's going to require in terms of years and dollars. We would rather put that money elsewhere. That's fine. I don't think that's going to be a matter of them being cheap. I think that's a matter of them saying, we got lots of other options. This, this one we can cover. A little harder on the pitching side. But they, and obviously that's been a weakness for the pitching in general has just been, you know, for a club that develops a lot of pitching, they have still, you know, often found themselves scrambling to try to get innings, try to find guys to start for them in the postseason. So I could see them saying, no, we're going to put that money into pitching. We've already got shortstop and second base covered for this next year. Now, I understand this is a loaded question for a few reasons, but as far as the Dodgers 
starting rotation goes going into next season, who currently in the organization is in the starting five for them when we turn the page to opening day in 2022? Yeah, I'm not going to give them Kershaw, right? Because we don't know. Right. You know, you've definitely got Bueller. You've definitely got Urias, who, you know, sort of a bit of a like, medical miracle, I guess, that, you know, he's maybe the had the best career after his particular type of shoulder surgery. I think he's pitched the most, certainly the most effectively after that particular shoulder surgery of anyone I can think. And then after that, Tony Gonsolin, maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. Um, I don't know that he's really ready to step in. He's certainly not ready to step in and be their third starter. I mean, could they go bring Kershaw back on some short deal? Uh, maybe even sign him before free agent gets full free agency gets fully underway, and then go out and sign another starter. So they have some pitching prospects coming. Now they traded Josiah Gray, who would have been next in that particular chain, but now Andre Jackson and Bobby Miller are getting there. They're close. I don't know that either one's ready to step in at the start of next season. Also, the Dodgers seem to like to break in their starters in hybrid roles, which I kind of love. So. All of that kind of points to them uh, looking externally, trade or signing someone else to be another starter for them. I'm assuming he must not be named as not coming back, and that's fine. I, I mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine Trevor Bauer is pitching ah, for anyone in 2022. Don't say his name. I know it's 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 Voldemort, but Major League Baseball kicked the can down the road. I think eight times. By extending yeah. his paid administrative leave, which yeah. is just utterly ridiculous. Yep. You know, they also have, you know, it's just, I just checked their roster. They have Mitch White. I like Mitch White. When he's healthy, could you start him and see what happens? The problem is you're the Dodgers, right? If you're the Rays, if you're, or if you're a non-contender for that matter, of course you start Mitch White and you just see what you get. You're the Dodgers. You might want one spot in the rotation. Be comfortable with one spot in the rotation that is a, we're going to try something and see what happens. Healthy Mitch White is a big league starter. He hasn't been healthy that much. So, you know, do you really bank on that? Eh, probably not. But it's just, hey, they got they just happen to have this guy lying around, right? That's, yeah. the, you know, do you not try him? And by the way, we didn't even mention Dustin May, who I'm assuming is just out until, right, out until 23. Oh, my God, is that the right year? Yeah. Uh, at least the late the late part of next year. Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't factor him. In, well, we're just you asked actually about the opening day rotation. But yeah, shouldn't yeah, factor yeah. him in for a major part of next. Maybe he comes back and he's pitching in the bullpen for them in September, and I would assume October. So, right. But yeah, could they do something like that? Could they cobble something together with a White Gonsolin tandem for the last spot in the rotation? Okay, yeah, but they still got one other place to fill. Yeah, that was going to be the kind of the follow up question. Was like, do you see Gonsolin as being a non experimental back end guy? Like that, I, I kind of see him as more of a hey, this could work, but he also might be more of a four inning guy that needs a little extra help on the days that he pitches. He goes through the lineup twice. Maybe he's more like that. Also, wasn't the same guy coming off the shoulder injury that he was pre shoulder injury too. Mm-hmm. But maybe with an off season to to rest up and to go through a normal progression, maybe he gets back. You talked about Bobby Miller, I think that was just a week ago, one of their top pitching prospects. He finished the year at AA. It was only a few appearances there. Is he a late 2022 consideration? Is he also one of those guys they might bring up as part of the, the relief core and then eventually come 2023, we're talking about him 
then possibly joining the rotation. I mean, he finished this year with three starts in double A and then looked incredible for me in fall league. It's short outings. Obviously, it's an artificial environment. Stuff is there. He has just not pitched enough for me to say, obviously, pitchers can come extremely quickly. I'm not saying it can't happen, but we like data, right? We like information. We like hard evidence. Has this guy pitched effectively anywhere above A ball so far? No. So for me to say he's going to make 20 starts for the big league club next year, I would bet against that. I also recognize that it's possible. A, because pitchers do, t- do, sometimes they just come quickly, especially when they have, the stuff is already there. We're not waiting for anything but stuff. And and also it's the Dodgers who just, you know, magic things seem to happen there, especially when it comes to pitching. So sure. Could I see him doing that? Yeah, it's within the realm of possibility. Do I think it's likely? No. I think he and Jackson are come up somewhere in the middle of the year, middle to, to towards the end of the year in spot start or swing man or relief roles. And that we're thinking, hey, this Dodger rotation could be pretty fun in 23, right? You could potentially have Jackson and Miller and May or two of those three. And the other one's been traded for something else. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're still very well positioned, even with these possible departures in, in free agency. That's, that's the thing that I, I keep coming back to. You can, replace a lot of those guys without doing anything and then you give them the benefit of spending potentially a lot of money and wheeling and dealing they're going to be fine like you mm-hmm. have no reason to panic i think the the tiny violin is very appropriate here if you're <laughs> feeling sorry for yourself as a dodgers fan you should not your team is going to be very good for a long time that is going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Keith, before we go, who did you have on the Keith Law Show this week? I had Christina Carl, my longtime friend. We wrote together back at Baseball Prospectus 25 years ago, and she has since moved on. She and I also worked together uh, at ESPN for a couple of years. She is now at the San Francisco Chronicle, where she's the sports editor, and we did some World Series preview stuff, some free agent talk, and just generally baseball chatter like two two people who've been friends for a very long time and can both talk a lot. Yeah, very cool episode. Be sure to check that out. Kind of another BP reunion. Those are always fun episodes when you get to uh, talk to the old friends from uh, that era. Uh, Keep checking out the episodes of Rates and Barrels. We're breaking down the playoffs as long as the World Series goes. Could be over, I guess, by the end of the weekend, though. So our last live stream could be Monday. Otherwise, it's going to be Tuesday because Game 7 will be early next week. You can find me on the other fantasy baseball podcast on the athletic as well and if you don't have a subscription to the athletic you should get one 33 off the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show enjoy the postseason games this weekend the athletic baseball show returns on monday <laughs>